We're going to take the teaching of Jesus on the end times and the tribulation. That's where we are in our study in the book of Mark. Um, and so I want you to know that uh, we need to understand how to survive the end times. That's what Jesus is going to teach his disciples, his apostles, as they are witnesses to the Lord until his return. Let me make a disclaimer at this point, okay? Uh, the timing of the rapture is not essential to salvation. Some of you here this morning are going to disagree with me um, because you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That's when Jesus takes the church out of the world before the tribulation starts. And many of us were brought up on that teaching. And uh, I'm going to teach from the teachings of Jesus this morning that the church remains through the tribulation and is raptured at the end. Uh, and that's when the rapture takes place as I see it according to scripture. You may disagree with me. I've lost people in this congregation. Some have left the church because of this teaching. Let me say, you can hold to a pre-tribulation, you can hold to a mid-tribulation, you can hold to a post-tribulation. It is not a salvation essential as to where you place the rapture. This doesn't change your salvation or the preaching of the gospel whatsoever. So if, if this is opposed to you, I, I do not want to present it in any kind of a haughtiness or anything like that. I want to present it clearly. If, if anything, listen and see if it expands your understanding of some things. But I'm not requiring you to believe as I'm teaching on this one. If it was about salvation, I would require it. So please, uh, that's my disclaimer this morning. We're going to follow Jesus' teaching on the end times. How do we come there in Mark chapter 13? As they are leaving the Temple Mount, the disciples and apostles say, Wow, this is amazing. Look, teacher, how wonderful the stones are, how wonderful the buildings and Jesus replies and says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. He's talking about the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. Now we talked about that when he said that he was going to destroy that temple and in three days build a new one. And we've already discussed that. That's the church that the temple in Jerusalem was no longer effective to the sacrifices for God because Christ is the sacrifice. He ripped the veil in the temple and now it is all through Christ Jesus that sacrifices are made. And in this is uh, as well prophetically to what happened in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by the Roman army. But it, this also foreshadows what is coming into the future. His disciples then say, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. That's the question Jesus is going to answer. They're asking, when is the end of this age? Now, at the cross, Jesus began a new age or a dispensation, didn't he? It's the times of the Gentiles. It's the times when salvation is now opened up to all nations and all peoples. That's that new time, that dispensation of grace that we're talking about. They want to know when is the end of that coming. They had no idea what they were asking. Now, 
I shared with you as to how this is all going to come to pass. There have been many different teachings. I'm going to teach out of Jesus' teaching here. Jesus goes on and he says, this is what's going to happen in the end times. You can read this verbatim. I'm going to help summarize it so that we can move quickly because I'm throwing a lot at you today. Jesus says this, many will come in my name. In other words, there will be false messiahs, false saviors. So these are some of the signs. Many will come in my name. Wars and rumors of wars. Have there been wars and rumors of wars? Yeah, since the beginning of time. That's not helping much. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Have nations and kingdoms fought? Yes, they have. All right? Earthquakes and famines. Have we had earthquakes and famines? Yes, of course we have throughout history. So these are not definitive signs. In fact, he goes on and he says this, this must pl take place, but the end is not yet. All right? That's not the end. He says what these are are the beginning of the birth pains. So it's not, all right, the end. Okay? So many will come in my name. So what's going to happen? This is on a global level. The, there have been wars and rumors of wars all around the world continually. But on a global level, there will be a lot of false prophets and a lot of false messiahs, a lot of wars and rumors of wars to where nations upon nations and kingdoms upon kingdoms, in other words, the global community will begin to crumble and fall apart. And they'll be searching for someone who could align the world, not just the isolated nations. This is happening on a global scale. Nations and kingdoms are starting to collapse economically, politically around the globe, as well as earthquakes and famines. In other words, the world is failing under human systems of government. That's what he's getting at. And he says, this is not the end yet. It's the precursor. It is the birth pains. Let me ask you something, ladies. When do you have birth pains? When you're ready to give birth. But it's not the birth yet. You don't know if you're going to have birth pains for 9 hours, 10 hours, 30 hours. Uh, we've had four children, and each of those birth pains lasted different amounts of times. So this is the beginning of the birth pains. And the birth pains, I believe, of what he's talking about, this is the beginning of the tribulation period. When all of this begins to collapse, and it is therefore ripe for a world ruler to come. And so that's what Jesus says. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So he says what? Be on guard. Why? What's going to happen to the church, the people? They will deliver you over to councils, beaten in synagogues, stand before governors and kings. They'll bring you to trial. In fact, a brother will deliver a brother, even a father, his own child, and children against their own parents to deliver them unto death. Globally, this has been happening since Jesus rose from the dead. Wasn't Paul beaten 
in synagogues? Wasn't Paul having to stand before governors and counselors and kings? Weren't uh, people in the Chinese nation uh, delivered up by brothers and family members and sisters and persecuted unto death? In, in, uh, uh, around the world, Nigeria right now is under great uh, persecution. Places all over the globe where Christians are being persecuted. So that, that's not an indicator. It's happened since the beginning. But what he talks about is in total, in total. You're not going to be able to come to America and find relief from Christian persecution. It's going to happen everywhere because he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. All right, not just communist regimes, not just because of dictators who hate Christians. This is on a global scale. This is what you need to understand because Jesus said, it shall be as in the days of Noah. What was in the days of Noah? One language, one people, one understanding, a world system. And so in this world system of communication and media and what is coming to a world economic system and everything else, you see it on the horizon. This is the beginning of the tribulation. And he said, you will be hated by all. It is an expectation Jesus had. It's a promise he gave the church. You will have tribulation always. We don't like that promise. And he said, if they persecuted and hated me, what's going to happen to you? Well, we're much nicer than Jesus. That's the arrogance. If we think that it's not going to happen to us, but it happened to him. If we're supposed to be like him, the result will be the same, all right? So you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So be on guard because you're going to be delivered up, okay? And so that's what's happening. We see a collapse of the world system, and we see a hatred towards Christianity and Christians. And this is the birth pangs. This is the end times. And he goes on and he says this point, and the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations this is fundamental to the tribulation period because this is the conclusion of the great commission what are we here to do go into all the world and what proclaim the gospel baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So we're under a commission and a command by Christ Jesus to do what? Go to all nations. The end will not come until what? The gospel is proclaimed to all nations. Is this simple enough? And therefore, the church must bring, Jesus will not return till the commission is done. In fact, from this perspective, that's the whole reason for the tribulation. It is the last call to salvation. It is about proclaiming the gospel to all nations. And because of the tumult and the trouble and what is being poured out upon the earth, it is the opportunity for people to turn to Christ. In fact, after every bowl and vial and anything that's poured out is poured out, it says, and they did not repent. What was the purpose of it? So that they would 
repent because we're preaching the gospel of all names. In fact, Romans 11.25 says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? It is the opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed to all nations. Israel has a hardened heart. That's the second reason for the tribulation. God is softening Israel's heart. They're hardened to Jesus Messiah. They have a hardened heart. But they're going to see him and accept him. Romans 10 and 11 tells us all of Israel will be saved when they come to a knowledge of seeing Jesus at his return. And so the end will not happen until the fullness of the Gentiles, until the gospel's preached to all nations, and that's what's happening during this tribulation period. He goes on, he says, and the one who endures to the end will be saved. Okay? To the end of what? To the end. Now, there are going to be very specific words in dealing with the last days. First and last. Let's get those down. Okay, and I'm not being silly or facetious. First means the very first. Last means the last. Okay? First and last means that beginning and end. Essential words. The end is when there's nothing else, no more. The beginning is the start of it, okay? So, he says this, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Does that mean, that's during this period, during this tribulation, does that mean that if you don't endure through the tribulation, you will not be saved, you will not have salvation? This word is sozo in the Greek, but it does not imply the word for salvation here. Because endurance is not a qualification of salvation, Look, at if we're in the tribulation or, and someone doesn't make it to the end because they get sick and die, are they not saved? If we're in this period of time and we're preaching the gospel to all the nations and you get hit by a bus and you didn't endure to the end, does it mean you're not saved? No. Salvation is by grace through faith. Okay? Not by our endurance or ability. What does this mean? The one who endures to the end will be saved. The end means till he returns. The end, that's it. There's nothing after this. What does it mean he'll be saved? The word saved not only means salvation in, as in receiving Christ, it also simply means being delivered or rescued. So the one who endures to the end will be rescued, delivered. That's what it means. It is actually more of a statement as to when will the rescue come? When will the deliverance come? At the end. That's when Christ is going to return and the church will be delivered. At the end. Let's continue. He then says this, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, this is a sign of the end. Let the reader understand. Now this is an interesting statement because Mark puts this in here. Let the reader understand. 
okay? It's a commentary. Because he knows Jesus is talking not just to those who are sitting around his feet, but to the future generations who will be reading this. Because Mark wrote this gospel. And he's saying, eventually those, he had no idea how many years after this people would be reading this. And he's saying, let the reader understand. When the abomination of desolation, and in Matthew 24, 15, Matthew adds, as Daniel states. So we go back to Daniel to understand, what is this abomination of desolation? Daniel says, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. This is the prophecy of Daniel. 1,290 days is three and a half years. So three and a half years into the tribulation, the abomination of desolation will take place. Now this already took place. In 70 A.D. 2 Thessalonians says this. It's all right. For that day will not come unless the rebellion or the falling away comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. That's a reference to the abomination of desolation. Paul himself says, that's going to happen. That's when you know we're at the end times, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. When this takes place, Jesus says, watch, you'll see it take place. Now, this happened in 70 AD, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, he called himself Theos Epiphanes, God's revelation, he believed highly of himself. A false Christ, and he stopped the sacrifices in the Jerusalem temple, and he entered the temple and set up a statue of Zeus and sacrificed a pig in God's holy temple. Now that happened in 70 AD. That was destroyed and, and took place. The temple was destroyed. That was not the end of what Jesus was prophesying. Why do we know that? Because Jesus says this, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. So that what happened in 70 AD with that abomination was not the final abomination of desolation. It was a precursor. It was a picture of what was to come. Same as Adolf Hitler was a picture of Antichrist. He's not the final one, but he sure portrayed what the Antichrist wanted to be and wants to do. So that is coming. How do we know that? Because we haven't had tribulation worse than the beginning of creation or that will never be. This is going to be a time in the world when everything's closing down, shutting down, and over. Okay? Now, he says this to those that he's speaking to, get out of Jerusalem. For those who are in Judea, flee to the mountains on the housetop. Don't go down or enter into your house to take anything out. To the one who's in the field, don't go back to get a coat. Get out of there. Women who are pregnant or who are nursing, infants in those days, just pray that it's not happening in the winter. You got to get out of there. Okay? Get out of Dodge. 
get out of Jerusalem. When the abomination of desolation takes place, you got to go. Now, prophetically, significantly, in 70 A.D., because they had the Gospel of Mark, as they read this and saw what was actually happening as Rome came into Jerusalem, guess what the church did? They got out. They got out. But this is talking about a future event that is yet to come in the end days, and it is going to come with a tribulation that has not been from the beginning of creation that God created, and even till now, or ever will be. This is a final tribulation and a final uh, world destruction like no other time. All right? And he says this about it. It's so severe. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would be saved or delivered. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days. Key verse. Who's the elect? The elect would be those who are in the tribulation at that time, at the three and a half years when the end is coming. It's so severe in those three and a half years, even the elect could be deceived, but they can't. And he said he's shortening those days because of the elect. Well, many would say, well, those are either those special 144,000 that were sealed or it's the Jews. Because they're God's chosen people. The word elect means chosen. And many people say, you can't find the church in the tribulation. You don't see the reference to the church. I beg to differ. You do see reference to the church. Here's one of them. Just because it doesn't say ecclesia, the church. In fact, let me go over a number of scriptures with you where the church is called the elect. Romans 8.33, who shall lay anything against the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. We're justified by faith in Christ Jesus. So we're the church who is justified. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened. What did we find? Messiah, peace, Sabbath. They couldn't find Jesus, Messiah. We did, the elect did. Colossians 3.12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Who's he talking to? The church, the elect. 2 Timothy 2.10, this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. What is that verse talking about? Who's that verse talking about? The church. We are saved through Obtaining salvation in Christ Jesus. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. That's the church. 1 Peter 1.1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing this epistle to the elect, who are sojourners of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia. Who's he writing to? The church, the elect, 1 Peter 1.2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, under the obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. That describes salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, the church, also known as the elect. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are an elect race. Your version might say a chosen race. Chosen and elect are the same word. We are an elect race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. I think clearly that when he says that 
He is cutting the day short for the sake of the elect. He's talking about his church, his people. What are they doing there? They're preaching the gospel. In fact, let me read to you Revelation 12, 4 through 6. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's imagery, isn't it? Who are we talking about? Who would the woman be? Israel. Israel. Jesus came through Israel. She, throughout Scripture, is identified as Israel. Jesus came from Israel. And uh, someone said Mary, which is true, that at Mary's birth, she represents Israel. The devil was there. Didn't he kill all the babies in Beth uh, Bethlehem, two and under? Right? But it is Israel. She gave birth to a male child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's Jesus. But he hasn't done that yet. He ascended to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness. That's Israel at this point, three and a half years into the abomination of desolation when it comes to the temple, what do they do? They flee. Israel flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. It's the same number that Daniel prophesied. It's three and a half years. Israel's going to flee Jerusalem, uh, most believe to go to Petra, and to go in a place hidden uh, by the Lord for protection from the Antichrist. The, the, the uh, treaty that he had made to solve the problems in the Middle East, at this point he breaks as he puts himself as God in the temple. But let's continue. And he, the dragon, pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, that's Israel, but the woman was given uh, the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Three and a half years. Ah, then the dragon became furious with the woman, Israel, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who are the rest of the children of that woman? The church was birthed out of what? Christ who was birthed out of Israel. We're the completion of the Old Testament. Now who else other than the church holds to the testimony of Jesus and keeps the commands of God? God wrote those commands now on our hearts. We live in righteousness and we follow the testimony of Jesus. That is the church. So in those last three and a half years, the enemy is coming after the church. The world hates us. The system's against us. Because what are we going to continue to do? Preach the gospel to all nations. And even the enemy is going to come after us. And Jesus tells us to be warned about that. And he goes on and he says, So if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Look, here's, uh, here he is. Don't believe it. 
false Christ, false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, whom? The elect. So the devil's going to turn up his power, the dragon's going to come, the beast, the image of the beast, the antichrist, there's going to be signs and wonders, and they're fighting against the elect because we're preaching the gospel of salvation. And so we could be deceived by thinking, maybe this is Jesus, maybe this is the time, maybe that. He says, don't listen to them. It's so profound, the the signs and wonders and the false doctrine is so profound, it could possibly lead astray the elect. He said, if that's possible. But what do we have in us that is greater than he that's in the world? The Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Don't be deceived. The intensity is going to be pretty tough. Be on guard. I've told you all these things beforehand. All right? He's equipping us for those days. Now he's going to talk about the end. Now, he's talked about the beginning of the birth pangs, what's going to happen in the world at the beginning of that tribulation period. He talks about the midpoint at three and a half. Antichrist is fully revealed as to who he is. He shows himself in the temple as as if he's God. And he goes against Israel. They flee. And so he turns against the church and he's coming against us ferociously. But in those days, he then says, after what? The tribulation. Okay? Clear statement. When is this going to take place? After the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then, and then, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. You see, it, it, it is brought all nations and all eyes in the valley of Armageddon to Jerusalem. And who will come at that point? Christ Jesus. Those who endure to the end will be delivered. The deliverance is here. This is when he comes. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Zechariah 12, 14, it talks about what? They shall behold him whom they have pierced. As a beloved son, Israel will behold Jesus coming. They've been looking for Messiah to come. They didn't realize he already did. They'll see him this time and realize it was him. And as Paul says in Romans 11, all of Israel will be saved. That doesn't mean all of Israel from all past history. That means those who are there standing and put faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way of salvation. No other way of salvation. The way to get saved didn't change at the time of the tribulation. It didn't change during the seven years. It didn't change at the last three and a half years. You want to get saved, you have to put faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and receive him as Savior. And that makes you the church, the elect. And so they will see him and they will send and then he, Jesus, will send out the angels and gather whom? His elect, all who put faith in Jesus, from the four winds. From the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. That is describing the rapture in the teaching of Jesus. 
That's when it happens, when he returns to rescue his people because they will have fulfilled the proclamation of the gospel to all nations. In fact, Paul says this, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, he's talking about this word, that we are we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or who have died previously. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trump of God. By the way, which trump? The last trump. There's no other trumpets after the last trumpet. Uh, the sound of the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So anybody that ever died, their body will rise, be resurrected. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's when we are raptured. And the rapture is no different than a resurrection. What happens at the rapture? We are changed in an instant. Paul says this, in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will, shall be changed. What does that mean? We will, this mortal will put on immortality. At the rapture, you get your glorified body. And all who were dead since Adam will get glorified bodies who had faith in God's salvation plan. And that point when Christ returns, we will meet him in the air as he is uh, descending into the earth. We will meet him and we will come with him to planet earth as a resurrected host with Jesus Christ. In fact, Revelation 20 describes it also i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of jesus and for the word of god and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands they came to life and reigned with christ for a thousand years this is the first resurrection so who's included in the first resurrection the tribulation saints if this is the first resurrection which is also called the catching away the rapture you can't have one before that okay because this would then be the second resurrection you can't, have a you can't have a rapture before the tribulation and then a rapture after the tribulation. These are the tribulation saints who are going in the rapture, who are being resurrected. And it is labeled the first resurrection. And when does it happen? At the end with the last trumpet. I'm not playing with the words. Okay? And this is the first resurrection. It is called a parousia. What does a parousia mean? It is the entrance of a great leader. It was tradition. It was known by the cultures then. When an army and a general was 
victorious as he was approaching the city that he was going to enter into the parade of victory, those who followed him would come out of the city and come in his parade and follow with him into the city of victory. We saw it on the day of Jesus' triumphal entry. As Jesus was entering in, the people of the city were coming out and joining him with palm branches and leaves. It's the parousia. The followers come to join him. That's what the rapture is. It is the final resurrection, the first resurrection of all the righteous, that we will join him. That as through the tribulation we've given a last plea to everybody. The church has preached the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the end of time, to when Christ will come at the end and we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and we will join him and come to planet earth once and for all. Hallelujah. Praise God. So his last remarks are, stay awake. But concerning that day, what day? The final day of his return. Or that hour, no one knows. Even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The Father will decree it. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to what? Stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, in the midnight, or in the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I have to say to you is, stay awake. Some would say, well, pastor, you just said that at the countdown of three and a half years, can't you just figure out when he's going to come? He's not saying you won't know the season. He's not saying you won't know the year. He's saying you won't know the day or the hour. It could be midnight, could be nighttime, could be four in the morning when the rooster crows, or it could be at dawn. Okay? He's not saying you won't know the seasons. In fact, he rebukes Israel for not knowing the season that they are in when Messiah shows up. They should have known. They knew when he was born, according to Scripture in Bethlehem, right? Didn't they? Didn't they figure out even what city he was going to be born in? They should have known. You could have figured. So the bottom line of this teaching, brothers and sisters, is stay awake. Now, some would say, but we're not supposed to receive wrath from God. God's pouring his wrath out on the earth. God is pouring his wrath out First of all, the earth is going through birth pangs. Those are just natural disasters. Those are destructions that the earth is having birth pains for the return of Christ, the birth of the sons of God, Romans says. That's our manifestation of the sons of God. But what is poured out is the wrath of God against the dragon who's coming against his elect. And it's coming against those who are working against the church. That's who the wrath is coming against. It's not the wrath of God against sin. When was the wrath of God against sin poured out? At the cross. That's when the wrath against sin was poured out. This is the wrath against those who are offending and coming against his elect. But mainly the wrath that Paul's talking about in the book of Thessalonians that we will not endure God's wrath is the wrath of his judgment against sin. 
we'll not have to stand before the great white throne judgment of God against sin because we've been saved by the blood of Jesus. That's the wrath to come that he's warning everybody about. And because we are saved, we will preach this gospel with our lives. We will overcome the devil because we have the word of our testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and we do not care about our own lives even unto death. And therefore the church will do everything in its power, every believer till their last breath, whether someone evil takes it or the world is against us, we will preach the gospel so that more souls will be saved. We'll stay alert, we'll stay awake, and we will preach till Christ returns. Hallelujah. Amen. Stand with me this morning and bow your heads.